Alright, I think I'm on. I'm not. Alright, are you not? Alright, are you on there? Alright. Uh, chapter 5, verses 7 to 12. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This person might even not have who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you that the Lord, uh, I have confidence in you in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. You were running well. They had a great start, but then they stopped. Why? That's exactly right. They fell under the influence of these Judaizing teachers, and they sort of did an about-face. They were detoured. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Notice that truth is something not just to be believed, but also obeyed. And he says, this persuasion did not come from him who calls you. It didn't, didn't come from God. It wasn't part of his plan or will when you quit running in the direction you were. The problem is, a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. A little false doctrine corrupts the whole gospel. It's kind of like yeast. What does yeast do with the lump of dough? Yeah, it rises, it corrupts it, permeates it. Is leaven the same thing as yeast? Is leaven the same thing as yeast? Yeah. You know, people think that a little deviation from the truth of the gospel won't hurt anything. Pretty soon it's a bigger one and a bigger one. But I think, you know, they have not realized that they are allowing some people and some doctrines and teachings in that are going to just totally corrupt and infect the whole group. They have just, they've been way too tolerant of some of these Judaizing teachings. So he's saying, you got detoured, guys. What happened? Comments and questions. Notice that uh, in verse 7 it says, Who hindered you from obeying the truth? The truth is that it's a rhetorical question. Nobody actually physically hindered them or forced them to not obey the gospel. They chose to follow these false teachers instead of God. You're right. They can't really blame it on them, though they were the occasion of it. Why does he say that in verse 10 but the one who's disturbing you will bear his judgment whoever he is doesn't he know who these people are well I think he says it doesn't make a difference who he is that's what he means by that yeah I think so I think he says I think he's saying you know uh, there's no exemptions based on like status or anything like that you know whoever he may be if he's teaching false doctrine he's going to be punished he says in verse 10, I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view. Paul believes that the Galatians will ultimately come down on the right side of this question. Why would Paul believe that about them? <laughs> because they know the truth. Or did he teach them the truth? 
truth physically. So. Yes. And why else? Because he's confident in the Lord. Yes, that's a big thing. I would also suggest he loves them. And what does love do? Believes all things, hopes all things, yeah. So, you know, he loves them, he trusts in the Lord that they will really come around based upon what Paul's writing uh, to them. But whoever it is who may be disturbing you, he will be punished, regardless of what a big shot he may think he is. He says, this is kind of odd, in verse 11, but I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Huh? What's that supposed to mean? He's quoting... What were they saying? Yeah, why would they say that? Yes, it kind of confuses the issue. They evidently were alleging, well, you know, Paul preaches circumcision too. That's what he believes. False teachers love to lie. And they love to try to, you know, just confuse the issues. And they may have taken something like Paul circumcising Timothy. And saying, you know, well, well, you know Paul. I mean, he believes in circumcision. Well, he circumcises people too. We're no different than Paul is. That's going to give their doctrine more weight. It may lead to doubts. Well, you know, maybe what well, does Paul? Well, Paul believes this. Well, what does Paul say that shows that he didn't still preach circumcision? Why are they persecuting him and trying to discredit him if in fact he is preaching the thing that they're trying to promote? Duh! You know, that wouldn't make any sense. They, they, try, to, they try to persecute him and turn around and try to say he's saying the same thing they are at the same time. <laughs> One side contradicts the other, you know. Not too logical. And then he says in verse, well, he says in verse 11, then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. If if I preach circumcision, then, you know, it would go along with the idea we can do it ourselves. And the stumbling block of the cross, which is that we have to humble ourselves and simply receive God's grace, that would be removed. We generally, in our pride and our desire to do it for ourselves, we don't like to accept the idea that we couldn't do it for ourselves and Jesus did it in our place. So, you know, if, if we start preaching something where we can actually achieve salvation based upon our own merit, then that really uh, evacuates the preaching of the cross of its offensiveness to man. It's offensive to man because it says we can't do it for ourselves. Alright, comments or questions through verse 11. Verse 12. This is powerful. I wish that those who are troubling you would even <coughs> mutilate themselves. Do you understand what he's saying? 
it's uh, kind of kind of does he go kind of overboard with the idea of circumcision? I think that's the idea. Yes, oh. these guys who put so much trust in the knife, I wish they'd go a step further and cut off the whole organ. <laughs> they castrate themselves. That's that's rather uh, strong. Uh, painful, probably, but you know, why would he say that? To show the stupidity of the their extremities. Like, is that not it? You mean of their extreme views? Yes. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, in general. But I'm thinking, okay, what? <laughs> What would it do any good? I mean, what would Paul be saying by wanting them to, uh, you know, cut off the whole thing? What, what would that? What would that accomplish? No more Well, yes, in that sense, yes. But but there's a, there's two or three reasons he'd say that. If they were castrated, what consequences would that have? New. Yeah, they wouldn't be able to propagate themselves. You know, you don't want people like these, you know, raising children to teach Judaizing doctrines too. I wish they'd, you know, lose any ability to bear children in this, you know, false system that they're promoting. I think that may be one idea. There's another consequence that castration would have on them. Particularly think about their view. Uh, as a Jew, you couldn't like worship with the congregation or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. This would have cut them off from fellowship with God and his people. Deuteronomy 23 and verse 1, No one who's emasculated or has his male organ cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. So, you know, he wishes the knife would slip and cause them to be excluded from the assembly of the Lord. Here's another possibility also. I'm not sure if we need to choose between these necessarily. But in some of the pagan religions, some of their pagan priests were castrated. And maybe he's again showing how Judaism and paganism are related. <laughs> uh, he wishes they'd let the knife slip and then just go full-blown into paganism. That's what they're going to do. So you can choose whatever you want to there. But can you imagine Paul would say that? Uh, you know, it's probably uh, talking about things that are a bit, you know, delicate subjects for us, but I'm not thinking so much that. I think delicate subjects kind of depend on the culture. Uh, but, I'm thinking about how harsh this is. You know, I wish these guys would just, you know, cut off the whole thing. That, that seems really kind of sarcastic and bitter. Don't you think? What, what do you think about that? Well, I was thinking about um, what we had just read. Um, I don't know where it is now. Um, about how, you know, he's saying it doesn't matter if uh, you're a servant, a woman, you know, that sort of thing. 328. Okay. Uh, because you said that they, had, they prayed constantly that... Uh, we're thankful that they weren't a slave, and that they weren't um, a female, and that they were a male. So this, you know, this action would take away that idea of their blessing as a male. Okay. Yeah. Know, to a certain extent. Yeah, I think most men would object to uh, that kind of surgery. 
for all kinds of reasons. Most. Yeah. Well, you never know. <laughs> kind of the understatement. But don't don't you view that as Paul really expressing some strong um, disgust for this whole system of these Judaizing teachers? He's 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 put out with them. He's had a, he's had enough of this. Man, I wish they just go all the way with him. He's just he's very very I don't know. He's very strong in this. I, I think if somebody said this today. He's like, you can't say that. That's, that's whoa. We went too far there. So I find it interesting. I'm not sure. I've never actually said that to someone. So. <laughs> and pay for boldness. Yes. <laughs> like questions or comments through verse 12? Um. Earlier, whenever he talks about, Paul says that uh, he has confidence in them, they will make the right decision. I find that difficult, um, you know, to be able to say that honestly. You know, there's a lot of times we want to say, I have confidence in you, just to show them confidence so that they, we think that, that we believe in them. But I think a lot of times our tendency is to say things we don't really mean so that they will feel encouraged. Um, yeah, that's really hard um, because... You know, it's hard to say that honestly because of what they, what the Galatians have been doing here. I, I can see it would be really, really hard to say that to say that he has confidence in them. Um, you know, obviously him saying he has confidence in the Lord helps a lot, but just the fact it, it would be really difficult. And he must have so much love for them. Um, you know, just the love that he would have and, and the and, and the love and the trust it would take to be able to say that honestly. They really felt that way. It really shows. What he, who he is as an apostle and servant of the Maybe the true Christian's love makes them somewhat naive. Somewhat vulnerable. Yeah, I think so. I think it's, you know, I think Christians do think the best. And even when maybe other people would say, I don't see much evidence to think that, they love and, and they believe all things, hope all things, and certainly have the confidence in the Lord as well. Other comments, Brett. Not to belabor the first twelve there, um, <laughs> but I ran a search on on that word that's, that's translated mutilate, and it's used six times, and two of those are in uh, Mark nine. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. And, you know, perhaps part of the idea is you know the, the pain that you would suffer by mutilating yourself is is nothing compared to what your problem with circumcision is going to cause you in the long run. Yeah. That's causing them to stumble. Cut it off like you're ready to put Yeah, good point. Yeah. One more question. Um, it talks about in verse 7, it says he ran well. And we see earlier in the book how they, they in the beginning, they were very well off. They were obviously a very good group. You know, what I see in this is maybe the the thing that ran them off course. I guess it's kind of question slash comment. You know, what what do you think the thing that ran ran them off course was? I think you know what we see so far has been their lack of trust in the Lord. Yeah. What else do you think? Maybe or if that is that's just it. Do you see? I think that's part of it. The desire to do things for themselves and the false teachers' influence and who knows. Do we know anything about the Galatians after this red letter was written? Well, not. Much necessarily. 
We don't know exactly when it was written. Wouldn't um, would some of the churches of Asia in Revelation be close to? Close, but no cigar. Other thoughts? <coughs> well, I'm not sure, in fact I doubt, that I can do justice to this next section. But, if we could ever understand this next section, I do think this may be as big a key to understanding the whole concept of the book as anything. And I'll do what I can figure out to do. I, some of this is just deeper than what I am. Uh, but I really think there's a lot in this to help us. So 13 to 18. You are called free to vote, and you do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word: you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out for you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. If you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Okay. You know, we've had all this stuff about not being under the law, not being a slave, not being by work, that we're freed from legalism, that we're freed from trying to be saved by merit, by fear, by more and more rules and laws. Um, and this passage, I think, is really going to explain this in a different way. You were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Now, how would somebody turn their freedom into an opportunity for the flesh? What would that involve? I'm free, I can do anything And therefore? Yes. And that is the wrong way to deal with that freedom. The flesh is always trying to take advantage of any possible opportunity to, you know... Corruptus. Do you need a pen? And you don't, do you use a pen? Um, Can you figure out how to get that to work? Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's sure. I think I have another Okay. Is the freedom freedom as in not being a slave in a physical sense or freedom through Christ? Freedom through Christ. You're talking about spiritually being free from the law, being free from bondage to works and bondage to the law. And, and, and we're supposed to use that freedom responsibly. We shouldn't take that freedom to say, well, then I'll just sin all I want to because I've been, I've been forgiven. There's grace. I'm not, it's not by works. It's not by law. Uh, so don't, he's saying, don't interpret liberty as the right to sin. It's the very same thing he says, as some of you know, in Jude, verse 4, which is, is kind of the danger. You know, he, he talks about certain persons that have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness. Licentiousness means license. And so they, they pervert grace into license, as if it gives you a license to sin, like it makes it okay to sin. So, don't abuse your liberty and use it as an excuse to sin. Okay, okay. So, so like what you, you was talking about, what he was addressing in Romans 6. Yes, exactly. Okay. 
Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now, I want you to think, you know, what would happen? Think about these two things. What, What happens if you do take this liberty and you decide, well, I'm free. I can do what I want to, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go headlong into sin. What will that cause if you use your freedom that way? What will that lead to? Slavery. Slavery. Absolutely. You'll become in bondage to sin. It'll just be a new slave. You know, it's kind of like here's the danger. You know how kids are sometimes who are raised in a super strict family. Once they get a taste of freedom. Wow, hog wild. You know, now I can do whatever I want to and I'm going to take advantage of it. And whoa, you see people just kind of going from one side of the pendulum way over to the opposite. And, and, and that would be a worry. You know, that these people get a taste of freedom and, they're, and they don't understand the nature of the freedom. And wow, now I, I, I really always want to know what it tasted like to drink wine. You know, I really always wanted to kind of take some things that didn't belong to me. You know, I'd like to have a few other girls, you know, women, whatever. You know, what? I don't know what they were thinking. But but that's the wrong way to do it. The, the, the right side of this is through love serve one another. That's what you want is love that motivates your service. I Think about the difference between a boyfriend who really likes his girlfriend and a husband who feels trapped in a dead-end marriage. What do they do on the, on the girl's birthday? Which one? Both. Both. Well, they, one celebrates it and the other one forgets it. No. <laughs> <laughs> He better not forget it. She'll be even harder to deal with if he doesn't. So he reluctantly goes down and buys her flowers and sends it. And so does the boyfriend. But they've got a whole different attitude, a whole different feeling about it. You know, sometimes, you know, you get flowers. You know, the the florist delivers the flowers to both the girlfriend and the unloved wife. Same same flowers, you know, same same arrangement, you know, type of arrangement or whatever. And they don't realize this isn't the same thing. You know, you can take somebody who comes to church, let's say. I hate it. If I don't go to church, A, I might go to hell, and B, they're going to be on my case about it. So I'm going to go there and grip my teeth, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to endure it. And you've got somebody who goes to church, not even thinking about whether it's required. They don't go to church. It never crosses their mind. Well, if I don't go to church, I'll probably go to hell, so I got to. No, it's like, man, I can't wait. I love this. I want to be with my brothers and sisters. I love singing praises to God. I love studying the Bible. You know, I love I love being able to pray together. You know, this is wonderful. And, and we're taking the Lord's Supper. That's just the high point of my week. Now, they both go to church, same church service. But do you see the difference? The, the effect may be the same externally. 
but the motivation is so different. You know, so he says, don't, you know, it, this shouldn't be a legalism thing. It ought to be through love we serve one another. And and wow, that's a, that's a lot to say. Is that the way we deal with people? Through love, we serve them. We give ourselves to them. Jesus loved the undeserving. Jesus, Jesus served to the maximum. We love, we serve. So he's presenting an alternative way. You know, this way that, that Paul's talking about, the way of faith, the way of grace, does it involve service? Absolutely. Love service, not law service. What's the difference? There's all kinds of difference. Even though both may attend the very same church service. Does that make any sense? He says in 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What's that saying? How is the whole law fulfilled in that one word? If you love everybody, you as you love yourself, you don't have to worry about anything else. Yes, but how is the law fulfilled in that statement? If you love your neighbor as yourself, you'll do all the other laws. Exactly. They relate to humanity. You know, he's been kind of working on that angle. Not so much the laws that relate to, uh, you know, God. That'd be loving God. will cause you to do that. But if you love your neighbors yourself, will you steal from him? No. Will you murder him? Will you gossip about him? Will you be mean to him, etc.? No. Why? Because the law says you got to do it? No, because of love. But if you really serve in the way of love, then you will fulfill the law. In other words, love leads to the same actions that, that obedience to the law would require. But he says, on the other hand, if you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. <laughs> if you don't have love, there's going to be constant you know, mutual self-destruction. Some churches are like that, unfortunately. It's ridiculous. You know, it's like, oh man, it's ridiculous. So contrary to love. And sometimes they'll say, well, I'm doing exactly what God says. This is exactly what the Bible says. You know, and you're not. It's legalism, not love. Alright, comments or questions through verse 15. Yes, Shane. You know, I think about that, that aspect of it uh, and doing the things that you do out of love and from the heart. Um, and it reminds me so much of Joel 2, verse 12. Now therefore says, the Lord, turn to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. So rinse your heart and not your garments return to the Lord your God. The idea of the heart is what matters. You think about Jesus' statements in, in referring back to, I think it's Hosea 6, 6 and Micah 6, 6 through 8. The idea of he desires not just the action, but what is behind the action. 
Um, and that's the same with, you know, with, with our brother and what we do with them, you know. The action is important, yes, but without the attitude that is behind the action, the action means nothing. Yes. That's right. Well, look at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now, think about why did some of the early Christians teach legalism? Why did they teach that you have to fulfill the law? Well, because of insecurity. How are we going to fight off the flesh if we don't keep people obeying the law and keep hammering over the head with they're going to hell if they don't do this and if they don't do that because the law says to. See, that would be the, the motivation for doing that. Paul's showing we don't need to add the law for that purpose. If, here, it's kind of like there's, 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 two, there's three ways. There's three options. Legalism, total abandonment to license and doing whatever you want to. Or there's this way of love, the way of the Spirit. That's the third way. This third way, walking by the Spirit, you don't carry out the desire of the flesh when you walk by the Spirit. It doesn't open the door for sin. It doesn't lead to indulgence. He says, for the flesh, sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another. You know, so if you live by the Spirit, you won't do the things of the flesh. They're total opposites. If you walk by the Spirit, you'll please God. Walking by the Spirit takes the place of the law for the Christian. In verse 18, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Verse 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is all these things. Against such things there's no law. What the Spirit will lead you to do is things that there's no law against whatsoever. Spirit will lead you to do the things that the law would tell you to do, but it leads you to do it from a whole different motivation and attitude. Um, so, so we have to we're to live by the Spirit. We're to walk in love. Uh, let me go ahead and just do this, and then I think this might help. I've got a section in my sermon that this way of the Spirit, the way of love is more effective than law in overcoming the flesh. Think about these things. If you are thinking of your relationship with God based on law, how do you feel about your relationship with God? Checklist. How do you feel? Guilty. Guilty. Defeated. Despair. There's no motivation. It's Romans 7. There's no motivation because I'm going to be lost no matter what. I'm, I'm, I'm a guilty sinner. I, you know, I haven't done enough. You know, I, I, you know I, I've, I've not studied enough. I've not prayed enough. I've not done this enough. It, it's, it, there's really not any use. I, I'm going to go to church and all that, but, but I know if I die, I'll be lost. And there's nothing I'm really going to do about it because I can't ever really measure up to what God expects. Is that guy going to do well in combating the flesh? The guy who thinks he's a hope, he's pretty much hopeless no matter what? What's going to happen to him when a temptation hits him? He's going to fall. Why? Just he has no true faith. Exactly, he has no reason not to. Why not? 
going to be any loster than he already knows he's going to be anyhow. So it's like, you know, it's hopeless. You know, legalism leads to fear. I like this. See what you think about this. The spirit of legalism sees life as a minefield where we must always be careful not to step wrongly. What God would really rather see us do is rush from opportunity to opportunity, always eager to serve others. We're careful. It's not that we're not careful to please God. We want to please God. But we're not always in mortal terror that the next move is going to blow us up. And so we have freedom to serve. We have freedom to love. We have freedom to live for the Lord. We do we, we serve the Lord and we avoid the flesh every bit as much as the legalistic guy, really more so. And with a whole lot more enthusiasm, with a whole lot more accomplishment. Law builds fences around what we must not do. Love builds bridges to new places of service. And and get the, and think about this. Legalism leads to trying to cut corners, get by, focus on the rules and the externals. Do I really have to go to that service? I mean, after all, you know, it really just says on the first day of the week. You know, I mean, is it do Wednesday nights really count? You know, or whatever. And, 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 and how can I do, you know, somebody said, you know, legalists try to solve the impossible dilemma of spiritual calculus. You know, how to give the minimum possible and still get the maximum benefit. You know, how, how can you, what's the least possible, you know, works you can do and still go to heaven? And some people will say, I had one guy, you know, good guy, but he, he asked me, this has been years ago, he asked me one time, he said, look, I'll tell you exactly what I make, exactly what my bills are, and all that, and you tell me how much I need to give. Huh. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, I didn't do it. But you know what he was thinking? He was afraid he might not be giving enough. He needed somebody to tell him, this is enough, this is okay. Because maybe, I don't I have no idea what he was given. But I don't know, maybe he was given 10%. Well, maybe maybe God would expect twelve. You know, and he was only given to I don't know what he was thinking. You know, he was given, you know, hundred bucks a week and maybe God really wanted hundred and twenty. You know, and he still so he give it, but he still feel, you know, insecure and like, ah, I might should have given that other twenty. You know, that mentality is always trying to figure out, okay, but really I could do some good you know, I, I, I need those. Would A need work just as well as 100, wouldn't it? You know, is God really going to miss that extra 20? <laughs> you know, or whatever. You, you try to end up cutting corners because you're not doing it because you love. It's not your life. It's just trying to figure out how to get the, the laws checked off. And so you're always sort of defeated. You're always kind of not quite making it. I don't know, does that make any sense? That, that's the best I can do with trying to come up with kind of the philosophy of walking in love and walking by the Spirit as opposed to legalism and the works of the law as a means of having a relationship with God. What do you think? So the law is still... 
Well, that's the law, but, but the commandments of Christ are so helpful because they show us the sort of things to avoid. And because we love Christ, we avoid that. And obviously, it would make us a slave to it if we came into it too. So, I mean, even the less like we'll see in Galatians 5 become helpful because they see us give us directions for our love to go. But um, we, we are not doing it out of fear anymore. Or out of a desire to, you know, earn enough points to make it in. That's not our mentality about it. Yeah, absolutely. We listen to what the Lord said. We, if we have faith, if we walk by love or in the Spirit, we're certainly going to listen to what the Lord says. You know, we don't walk by the Spirit if we're not concerned with what His will is. We're very concerned with what His will is. We love Him. Logan. Would walking by the Spirit, would that be referring to the Holy Spirit and what the apostles are saying in yours or something else? It's good enough for me. Same. You know, I heard someone say one time, and you look at this passage, you don't see anywhere in here about rewards, about the reward for doing these things. And I heard someone say one time, we should, I don't know where he got this, but we should want to to serve the Lord and glorify Him because we love Him, whether He rewards us with heaven or not. Whether He decides to keep me or love me back because He is the God that He is and because I love Him so much, therefore I will I will do these things that He says. Not out of fear or out of, a, out of worry or out of wanting to, to make myself okay to where I can go to heaven, but it's the idea of because I love the Lord, whether He condemns me or not, whether He gives me what, I'm, what I deserve or not, I will praise and glorify Him and love Him because of that is Of course, part of my love for Him is knowing how much He does love me and how He is going to treat me. <laughs> you know, it's kind of, I think the point is well taken. You know, we shouldn't serve God with some sort of a mercenary spirit. Well, God, I'll give you so much service, you give me so much payback. But part of the reason we love so much is because we know so much how much God loves us and how generously He rewards us. That's overwhelming to us, especially when we consider how sinful we have been. Go along with what Shane said, it's like, if you're, if God came down and said right now that you're going to hell, and, I mean, no matter what you did, and then, like, would you still be faithful the rest of your time on earth? Because you love him? Yeah, it's, it's hard to conceive of that, isn't it? Other thoughts and comments? It's definitely, it definitely all boils down to God's generosity, you know, God's grace and God's mercy, because you know, say we don't do it out of love, say we are doing it, you know, just as a checklist you know, I'm giving a hundred dollars a week, I attend three times out of the week I go to every time we have a Bible study, if you're just doing it as a checklist, you know like, yeah, you could be doing everything you need to do as far as you know, the list is concerned that you've made out for yourself but what? But the whole reason for being a Christian, the whole reason that we try and serve God is for that grace and mercy because ultimately none of us, no matter what we do, deserve heaven. None of us deserve to be with Him. That's His gift to us. And so you can live by a checklist if you want, but even if you fulfill your checklist perfectly, you don't deserve heaven. And that's kind of just the reality of it, you know, no matter how we live, none of us deserve heaven. Not at all. Yeah, not at all. We can only go to heaven 
by the grace and mercy of God. <laughs> it's, you know, what we're doing is just a reflection of our love. It's certainly not something that we're being able to pay part of the entrance fee. Would it be fair to say that uh, that's that's a part of Paul's point here, so that's why he's willing not to go back to Judaism, because that's just trying to earn your... Well, yeah. They're trying to earn your way into heaven, which exactly. you cannot do. Exactly. It's trying to be just with God by works. It's a self-confidence. It's a prideful thing, ultimately. And yet, at the same time, there are things that we have to do. I mean, yes, we are saved by faith. But James says, faith in that works is dead. That we need to realize that nothing we do gets us to heaven. But if we don't do anything at all, we're not going there either. If we don't do anything at all, we don't have faith. Right. We don't love. We're not walking by the Spirit. That would be, you know, turning your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. So you're exactly right. This is... The, the truth is that when you walk by the Spirit... When you walk in love, you know, you serve. You give yourself to the Lord. You seek Him in every way. You obey Him. You trust Him. You know, faith in these passages does not mean mental acquiescence that there is a God. It means serving God, obeying, doing what He says, not to earn the points, but as a response of our faith and trust in God. Yeah, Brad. Put it in terms of loving your spouse. I mean, love without works is dead. It's just like, no, I'm not doing things to, to um, take care of that garden. You know, it's, it's not love at all. Like you said, it's not faith. It doesn't have the works. It's just an outpouring of, of what's in the heart. Sometimes we just say we love. Saying we love and loving are two different things. Saying we have faith and having faith are two different things. So, you know, the guy said, well, but, you you know, I thought all I had to do is, is love you. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's true. And, and in a way, isn't that true? All that, all that a man needs to do for his wife is love her. Absolutely. Well, you didn't say I did, you know, I don't know, wash the dishes and... Take out the trash and, you know, treat you right. He's sad to love you. Well, what did we think love was anyway? You know? I mean, we, we do that. We try to shortcut things and come up with some way that we can indulge the flesh. It doesn't work. Because that's not love. That's not walking in the Spirit. That's not faith. I think this is really, you know, central stuff right here. I think it's really helpful. But obviously we see the difficulty of keeping the balance. (laughs) The difficulty of not going off the deep end one side or another of this. Comments and questions? I'm sorry. You're fine. The flesh sets itself... Sets his desire against the spirit. That, that seems pretty easy to understand. The spirit 
since it's desire against the flesh. Um, I guess I can't see that kind of Well, I think he's just saying the spirit and the flesh are totally opposite. What one wants is just the opposite of what the other one wants. So if you walk in the spirit, you don't do at all what the flesh does. If you walk in the flesh, you don't do at all what the spirit does, because they're just totally opposite. Don't tell me you're walking according to the spirit, and you're still, you know, on the internet every night doing things you shouldn't do. You know, that's not walking by the spirit, that's walking by the flesh. Because the guy who's walking by the spirit wouldn't do that. He wouldn't want that. That's the flesh. I kind of thought of it as like, you know, if you truly love someone, then the, the barriers of the flesh, you know, you, you'd like to serve them, but you get tired, or you'd like to provide for them, but you yourself get hungry and things like that. And so it's like, if you if you just follow your, if you just follow the spirit, your flesh is going to get in the way. Uh, if you're trying to follow the, the flesh, the flesh is, uh, it's, you know, the spirit, it's not what the spirit will have you to do. Um, and so you have they're just constantly waging war against each other I mean I, Paul would say I wish I had more time and energy and strength to give you know exactly other thoughts <clears throat> 19 to 21 <clears throat> now the words of the flesh are evident which are Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, adultery, uh, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, distressions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, rebellious, and and the and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He said these uh, accomplishments of the flesh are evident. You can easily recognize them. And he groups them into categories, don't you think? Do you see the categories? The first three? Sexual. Sexual immorality. The next two? Yeah, false religion. The next bunch? Uh, lack of love. Yeah, anger and selfishness. The last couple? Yeah, drinking and things like that. Now, you know, I think for some of us, some of these categories wouldn't seem equal to the others. Maybe the anger and selfishness doesn't seem nearly as bad as sexual immorality and the drinking. But he puts them as all the achievements of the flesh. And things that he says, I've told you, I've warned you, you can't go to heaven doing those things. Now, you might think about, you know, some of these specifically. You know, the word in, in verse 19, immorality, includes all forms of sexual immorality. Impurity are things kind of linked to sexual immorality. Sensuality is, you know, just reckless, shameless behavior. Uh, then idolatry, sorcery, kind of the spiritism of the age, uh, and then all the the enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envyings. Think about in the church. Think about at home. 
Those are works of the flesh anywhere you are. Drunkenness and carousing. You know, these are these are things that we just can't do. So, you won't walk by the Spirit and do these kind of things. Comments and questions about them. This list helps me because we're talking about you know, giving into the flesh, and, and a lot of these really make sense with that. Obviously, like sexual morality, uh, sensuality, uh, you know, anger, giving into your uh, rage or impatience, and uh, drunkenness, giving into the desire for alcohol. Um, those things are very much like you can see the flesh wanting those things. But then idolatry and sorcery, it's like, how does how is idolatry giving into the flesh? And of course, there may be something with pagan practices, but I think maybe on a more basic level, it's the sort of thing that we've been looking at in Galatians, how the flesh is wanting this confidence in something besides yeah. Jesus, and something additional, and that's a weakness that you can't give into. Good point. I agree. That's what I would have said. Yes. Is there any significance to the difference in choice of words in 19, and we'll get to this one later, but verse 22, in deeds of the flesh and fruit of Probably the Probably so. You know, the deeds is more the idea of the works that come with the legalism, and the fruit is something more produced by the nature of the plant as opposed to a specific work. It's also have works and fruit plural works, but the fruit is sort of one with various manifestations, right? It's interesting to me that we get from verse 13, you're called to freedom, uh, you have this freedom from the law, you no longer uh, have to be under under that slavery, and, you know, we go from that, and the way he says, you know, don't turn from, don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, and that that gets them from that that mindset of legalism all the way to this this list of deeds of the flesh. And like you said earlier, just talking about how the fact that, that legalism legalism will lead you to do these very things um, because you feel defeated. And you know what does what is a defeated man you know, end up end up doing, but just just turning to uh, self you know, self destruction, and uh, you know it's kind of like the the, the idea of the, the muddy paper. You don't have any any motivation to keep the paper clean anymore when it's muddy and it's just things just fall apart. So you you go from you go from the idea of well we're just trying to help our salvation with with circumcision. But that that opportunity for the flesh leads you all the way to this, which is which is, you know, several steps down the line from well, just point circumcision to help me out. Good point. Yeah, that's that's a good good thought. That the flesh ultimately degenerates to this. Even if we start on the road of the flesh and some of these, you know, legalistic uh, ordinances. Other comments? 
Right? How about 22 to 26? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. Now these who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another in the Alright, look at these nine fruit of the Spirit. Um, I think we can group these. What if you tried to group them in threes? What do you see as kind of the distinction between each set of three? They're all virtues. They're all virtues that deal with our relationships. Now can you go from there and tell me... First three would be more or less feelings... I guess between love, joy, and peace, or inner. Mm, maybe. Second triplet is the easiest, isn't it? That deals with what? Your outward actions. In regard to who? Interactions with other other people. Yeah. Aren't those three are relationships to other people? Patience, kindness, goodness. So what about the first three and the last three? There. I don't know, the last three I feel are more, um, I guess, inner. Yes, I think so. More dealing with your relationship with yourself. And the first three then, more deal with your relationship with God. Yeah. That's not a hard and fast thing, but that does kind of help me to group them that way. You know, your love, joy, and peace, your relationship with God, patience, kindness, and goodness, how you treat others, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, kind of your inner dispositions. You can think about those. Obviously, love is uh, appropriately at the beginning. It's always either the, the climax or it's the starting point or whatever of every list of virtues, pretty much. Uh, joy, because we have Christ, we have salvation, peace, uh, in my notes, I said it's found in every book of the New Testament. I think it's not found in First John, but I could be wrong. I didn't go back and look it up. What? Peace? Peace. Just the word? Yeah, just the word. So. <laughs> Patience with people who provoke us. Kindness. Treating people in a gentle manner. Manner. Goodness. Generosity. And then the, the virtues within ourselves, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What a contrast with the works of the flesh, man. These are totally diametrically opposed to this. What do you think? Is it in First John? I thought my notes were wrong. I must have copied that from some commentary. No, I, my, note, my notes say it's found in every book in the New Testament. But I thought I was right that it wasn't in First John. You can't re- you can't believe everything you pick up from commentaries. I'll tell you what. Uh, even objective things like that, they'll be wrong about half the time. Yeah. yeah, my notes are wrong right there. It says word peace is found in every book of the New Testament, but it's not. But don't believe my notes. 
They're no better than the commentaries. I do, but sometimes I modify them on the fly. <laughs> Poor fly. In the end, I have any hours. It sounds like a Gary joke to me. Well, I would never have said anything like that. So, it sounds like, except for the first three deeds of the flesh, it's sort of the same pattern also. Paganism, idolatry, sorcery, those are relationship actions against God, and then the others, the second grouping, it would be uh, actions against fellow men, and then the last group would be actions against yourself. Yeah, the, uh, the tough one of those is the last two is actions against yourself. That may be a little questionable, but uh, yeah, that's interesting. Now, here's something I think would be good to do take the fruit of the Spirit and rank them in the order of how well you do with them. You know, kind of figure out which one you need to work on most. I did that with some lists some time ago. I mean, long time ago, 30 years ago, 25 or 30. And then I ran across it not too long ago. It was interesting. You know, they weren't all the same. So, so one or two of the ones that were in bad position were up higher, quite a bit higher, than some of the ones that had been higher are now lower. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe I worked uh, more on the ones I was really lacking and didn't give enough attention to the others. But that'd be helpful. Do the same thing in 19 to 21. Which of these works of the flesh do you have the most problem with? That, that would be an interesting exercise as well. Sorcery, is that it? <laughs> I think that's why most of us have much trouble when he has to Well, he's gross. <laughs> 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 what are you trying to say, John? It's always coming. All right. And then, he says in verse 24, Now those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with, with its passions and desires. <clears throat> that does not sound very pleasant, does it? <laughs> Here's something that I, I copied off. I don't even know if this was from one place or not, but I thought this was pretty good. A Christian's rejection of his old nature is to be pitiless, painful, and decisive. He is not to seek to remove from the cross what has once been nailed there. It is as if, having nailed our old nature to the cross, we keep wistfully returning to the scene of its execution. We begin to fondle it, to caress it, to long for its release, even to try to take it down again from the cross. We need to learn to leave it there. It is fatal to begin to examine it and consider whether we are going to give in to it or not. We have declared war on it. We are not going to resume negotiations. We have settled the issue for good. We are not going to reopen it. We have crucified the flesh. We are never going to draw the nails. I think that's a pretty good statement. Uh, We need to crucify the flesh. We need to put it to death, and that's it. Those passions and desires are over. We are not going to give in to those things anymore. That's slavery. That's the flesh. That is not the way of the Spirit that we're walking in. Where is that quote from? I have no idea. It may have been a compilation, but I have no idea. It's just in my notes. I don't ever credit sources. I don't really care. <laughs> Do what? That's why your notes are wrong. Yeah. <laughs> if I if I credited sources, then I can figure out who misled me on the peace business. Yeah. Yeah. Or did I just miscopy it? 
If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. You know, our conduct ought to go along, ought to correspond with the principle of our life. You know, we, we, we live by the Spirit, that's the source of our life, Well, we have to behave that way. You can't live by the Spirit and not walk by the Spirit. And then finally, let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. You know, we start with our opinion of ourselves. When we're boastful, we've got too high a, a opinion of ourselves. And then we begin to challenge those we think are strong and envy uh, when we, well, we challenge uh, others when we feel like we're strong and we envy others when we feel like we're weak. But in all of this, we're focused on ourselves. We're seeking to promote ourselves. And that doesn't fit with walking by the Spirit. So, good practical exhortations in that. Comments and questions on all that? start into chapter 6 just a second uh, we're supposed to, I told Sandra to have food ready for those who are going to my house to eat at least at 6 so we got a couple more minutes um, so chapter 6 he says brethren even if anyone is caught in any trespass you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted um that sort of contrasts with what he just ended up saying. Not envying one another. What what is the the envious man, what would he do when somebody fell? Yeah. He'd rejoice. But he says, when you when one of you is caught in a trespass, you know, when a gust of temptation knocks the other guy down, what should you do? Yeah. There's that is a little against our current philosophy of live and let live, stay out of other people's business. You know, if they wanted to fall, that's their business, let them fall. You know, just let them stay there. I mean, you know, don't you try to pick them up. We are talking about spiritually falling. We are. Physically. We are. Okay, because I like people <laughs> trip. It's kind of funny. Well, hmm. Well, you're a sinner. <laughs> <laughs> But we, you know, we care about those that are in sin and we get involved and try to bring them back. Now, which kind of people should do this work of trying to restore those who've been caught in sin? Spiritual. And does that relate to the context? He's trying to fulfill the law of Christ. Yes. And he's been talking about living by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, a bunch of... uh, So you are in the Spirit. You know, you have a special responsibility to try to restore those who have been overtaken in a fault. Um, How should you do it? With love. Yes? Why? Okay. You know, it, it's delicate work. I mean, when you're trying to restore somebody, you don't want to crush them in the process. Um, and it could happen to you. 
you may be the next guy who needs help, who needs somebody to restore you. What kind of attitude do you want people to have toward you when they're restoring you? Patience, love, kindness. Oh. Yeah. Think about being on the receiving end. If you had fallen spiritually, would you want other people to try to help you get up? Yes. Yes. And what kind of attitude do you want them to have? Helping positive. Helping positive. Do you want them to tell you that you did wrong? Yeah. But not with an arrogant, disdainful spirit. You know, just put yourself on the receiving end because you may be the next time around. And and try to treat them the way you'd want to be treated. Certainly with concern. Certainly with the boldness to tell them. But not with arrogance. Not with harshness. You want you want love mixed with the um, you know statements that need to be said. All right, comments or questions on any of that? All right, why don't we pause here?